the teaching ministry of Judah Olorimai, a man called of God to compel consecration, provoke repentance, and inspire worship by the preaching and teaching of God's word and the miraculous demonstration of God's power. God's word is about to hit you as light and strength. Get ready for an encounter with grace. I want to seek the Christian response to some of the social vices, um, particularly in the 17th and 18th century. Vices such as capitalism, well, extreme capitalism, um, because of the industrial revolution, and of course slavery. And I will see how Christianity and spirituality was able to navigate through the 18th century and the 17th century with all its unique um, challenges as it were. As we begin to teach in the class, we would um, comprehend better what I'm trying to communicate. But for a text, let's do Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5 to 9. Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5 to 9. Born servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of hearts as to Christ, not with high service as men pleasers, but as born servants of Christ. The phrase born servants has to be understood from an historical perspective, and um, simply put, we're talking about something worse than house girls and house boys. We're talking about actual slavery here, which was quite common under the Roman Empire. And Paul, writing to them, tells them to be obedient to those who are their masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as born servant of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that wherever, or rather whatever good anyone does, they will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, that is to slaves, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Hallelujah. So slavery, socials, and spirituals. That's the conversation tonight. Holy Spirit, we trust that as this conversation unfolds, you give us clarity, comprehension, and insight in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the many lessons that we will learn by this subject, this course. Thank you for the transformation that will happen to us because you will speak to us personally. In Jesus' name, we pray. Slavery, socials, and spirituals. Slavery is a very important subject in church history. <laughs> in fact, in Bible history. And um, if you don't understand the church history perspective, you would believe lies. You know, just like we said last week about education. Uh, there's a church history perspective to education. And if you don't understand the church history's perspective to education, 
you might believe that Christianity is for dollars and that Christianity does not emphasize education. Meanwhile, many of even the great universities of our generation were established as Christian schools and founded by Christian people. So we need to understand many of these societal issues from a Bible perspective. In our generation, how many of you have heard of Black Lives Matter? Okay. Uh, that was about three years ago, there, about, there was a great unrest in the United States about um, racism. And um, it stemmed from agitations, you know, from a particular black community against social injustice. Basically, a lot of things have happened. And a lot of things are still happening in the West with respect to killings of black people without any justifiable reasons. However, you should not be carried away by propaganda because <laughs> many of the things that you see happening on CNN and Al Jazeera and Sky News and all of that, many of them do not give an accurate perspective of what is happening. For instance, this is an example. If a white man kills a black man, it will be the first thing to appear on your newspaper. So, America is racist. But there are thousands of black men killing black men that you don't get to hear about because it does not sell on the, on the papers. It doesn't sell. And so, you're already giving an impression that it's only white people that kill black people in America. That's what they are trying to configure your soul to believe. Meanwhile, that's not all to the story. So, you've got to understand all these agitations like Black Lives Matter at a point... It was very common to see footballers take a knee before every match. They would kneel down. I think some of them still do it now. And they say things like no room for racism, black lives matter, and all of that. And in today's Western world, there's still a very strong sentiment of victimization amongst the blacks. Because slavery was a very terrible thing. And... Um, even in Africa, many people still say, eh, the reason why Africa is not developed is because of colonial masters. And they, they colonized us, and because of that, we are way, way, way behind schedule, as it were. But we've got to see, well, our emphasis is not necessarily just the issue of slavery in history. We want to see the Christian perspective. How did the church respond to slavery? Did the church play any role in abolishing slavery? We church people part of the slaves or part of the slave owners? What were the popular preachers' opinion about subjects as slavery? For instance, John Whitefield had an opinion concerning slavery and it's very interesting that he was really not too keen in seeing slavery abolished as far as the documentation show. It was not really one of the voices that was against slavery. His own was that just preach to the slaves, even if they are not free, as long as they receive the gospel, that's enough. However, people like um, Charles Finney, which we may consider next week, were very much more vocal against practices of slavery in the American society. Are we still together here? Okay, let me just read from my notes and explain a few things. The American practice of slavery had begun, um, or began officially in August 20, 1619. 1619, that's when, as it were, officially, slavery began in America. Of course, America is a new country. Slavery has been from the foundation of, let me say foundation of the earth. 
What's your first slave memory from scriptures? Does anybody remember any slave story from scriptures? Joseph. So we see that slavery is not an American thing. It's not a black lives matter thing. It's not really a black man issue. It has always been. Joseph was not black. Um, so, and that's why I'm trying to let you know that don't let the Western narrative deceive you. Please, just keep some focus. Please, keep some focus. Keep some focus. I beg you. Don't let the, the Black Lives Matter narrative deceive you that, oh, it was only blacks that were slaves. That's not the idea. And some of you, if you just read your Bible, you will understand the truth. It's not only blacks that were slaves. And as far back as Joseph, as far back as Abraham, in fact, as far back as Noah's children, you see the sentiment of slavery. In fact, some people suggest that the first slave was Ham. He said Ham or Shem. Now, who was cursed amongst Noah's children? And that, that was where slavery now became, as it were, legal to a man's conscience. Because in the curse that Noah gave to that child, he suggested that you would serve your brothers. Some people have said that that particular child was the descendant or is the forefather of Africa. And that's why <laughs> uh, many <laughs> blacks are still, as it were, in chains. I still believe that blacks are still in chains. I was teaching yesterday and I told them, you see, the chains that are most difficult to break out from are mental chains. Some of you still feel inferior once you see Oyibo. Yeah, Oyibo. You know, because there's still a mental chain on your soul. You still feel that the zenith of life is living in Canada. If you're in Canada, at least, oh, oh, that's what you think. You might go there and find out that. <laughs> so, mental slavery is still something we're still dealing with. Even though much of slave trade has been abolished, there's still a lot of slavery happening in today's generation. A lot of people smuggling girls to prostitution in Italy. A lot of buying and selling of human beings on the ground. So it's still a problem. But we want to see the Christian perspective and see how the church responded. Are we still together here? We want to focus on America because we want to bring it up from yes, from last week's conversation. So our conversation is narrowed in America, not because it was only America that practiced slavery, but because that's where we stopped last week. And so... Um, the real reason why blacks are prominent subjects in the slavery conversation is because America made it popular. America made black slaves popular. When the people, now from last week's class, who moved from England to America from a church perspective? Puritans. Is that not so? Puritans. They came from England moved into Massachusetts and settled in New England. Okay, so we also said many other people moved in into this new world. And um, when they got there, the Native Americans, the people who owned the land, they were not easy to conquer. You could not really make them slaves. Why? Because they were familiar with the terrain. If you go to or your village, and you want to take over your village, for instance, and you want to say you are going to capture the people there and make them servants or slaves. Those people know the village before you came. They know the terrain. They know the weather. So they can easily escape and hide in places you don't even know exist. So it was difficult for the 
new settlers to colonize the indigenes. And so what they did was to import slaves from Africa. Are we still together here? And if you want to understand, understand why the black slave story is prominent in America. Blacks were not the first slaves. Blacks were not the only slaves. But when the new settlers got into American soil, they discovered the original indigenes were going to be difficult to make slaves out of for a couple of reasons. First, they understood the terrain so they could escape easily. They could hide easily. And then their skin... <laughs> Well, the new American settlers claimed that the black skin was inferior and that it was not suitable to walk under sun. Do you understand? Sister Mabel is a very dark lady, for instance. She has plenty of melanin on her skin and it's very conducive for sunlight. Absorbs sunlight a lot. Basically, I think color black just absorbs sunlight a lot. Okay, so they claim that well, white people will not be good for because now the issue was that when they tried to settle in American soil, they needed a lot of agricultural um, labor, a lot of planting, farming, and all of that, and so they needed to employ people, but they could not pay for many of those services. So they said, let's just take slaves who will work in the hot sun and work our farms. For us, that's how the blacks, their skin color was perceived to be able to withstand the heat of the sun. <laughs> and of course, generally, the black skin color was thought to be an inferior one. Okay, let us um, progress here. We really don't have time. It was not everybody who agreed to the slavery um, concept. Some people, especially amongst the Christian Puritans, from the onset did not feel comfortable to preach the Bible and still insist on slavery. And so there was already a division within the church and within society, especially in America. But basically, one of the deceptions that Satan used to continue slavery amongst Christians was that the slave owners, that is the slave masters, discovered that whenever they taught black slaves the Bible, the slaves were more, were more loyal. Ask me why. Because they read in the Bible that they were slaves in Bible times. Joseph was a slave and he did not run away. He was loyal to his master. The text we read in Ephesians chapter 6 suggests that masters are taught to teach or taught to treat slaves well, but that slaves are also taught to be submissive, in fact, to serve their master as though they are serving Jesus. At first, when the white men, as it were, <laughs> brought their slaves, they were contemplating, should we teach them the Bible? Should we teach them the gospel? They were also afraid that if they teach them the gospel, the black man will learn from the Bible the equality of souls. Because the Bible is very loud on justice and equality. But they said, well, let's try. Let's try and teach them. And let's see how they respond. And then when they discovered that when they taught these black men the Bible, the black men were even more loyal, more faithful, more hardworking. So they said, ah. <laughs> the black said, this thing they work who, they began to teach many more black slaves 
the Bible. And so that's how Christianity spread amongst black slaves. Not because, listen, the spread of Christianity amongst the black slaves was not because the true gospel was taught. It was because the white guys used the Bible to colonize the black guys and establish a legitimacy of slavery amongst the blacks. Are we still together here? So, now, just, just to give proper perspective, there's, there's, an, there's the idea of a black gospel. If you go to America and you are attending a black church, their music is different. Their preaching is different. There's something called Negro gospel. The way they clap their hands and stomp their feet. That, that's, a, that's a Negro gospel. The way they are pre- black preachers even preach. The way their song is sung. That's a Negro gospel. The origin of this did not start with real gospel, however. The white men, in a bid to legitimize slavery, used the Bible to justify slavery. And of course, this is very important because you must understand that the Bible can be used to justify every kind of evil. People are using the Bible to justify homosexuality. People are using the Bible to justify every kind of perversion. And so, wrong doctrine has consequences not just on the church but on society. That's a very salient point. If we don't understand the Bible in its accurate application and implication, it will be hijacked by wicked men. The Bible is used to support many of the prophetic deceptions of today's generation. Somebody is going to bait inside a river. They say, Naman. Naman was a man. He bait inside a river. They say, it's a, it's a biblical principle. It is in the Bible. Somebody is praying with salt and honey. They say, Elisha, he prayed with salt. He healed the river with salt. Ah. So, is it, doctrine is very important. If you, if you misunderstand doctrine, it can be used to justify stupidity. Are we still together? Okay. Let me read a couple of things here before I enter into the into the main point here. So most of the slaves who were loyal to their masters were Bible-believing slaves. Well, like I said, there was a great divide even amongst Christians with respect to whether slavery was legitimate or not. Now, in the social system, there was a political divide, north versus south. Please, PR, you help me with that um, graphical illustration. I'd like you to see it and understand it. Okay. The screen is not too, this screen is not too accurate, but the one on your screen is accurate. You see blue and red. Is that not so? Come on, are we still together? Pause on this image, but try and imagine northern Nigeria and southern Nigeria. What is northern Nigeria known for? The violence. <laughs> okay. Any other one? I can't hear. If you speak, you speak loud. I'm trying to... Katu-rearing. Trade. I feel trade is, is, is known amongst the Igbos more than the houses. 
Catuary, apart from Catuary, what else? Illiteracy. Ah. You don't know? Some of you are doing as if you don't read newspaper. Illiteracy now. Illiteracy levels, they are very, very low. Education is not really prioritized. What is the cut-off mark for your school? Let me just give an example. What is the cut-off mark for your school? 190, 180. I can tell you that in the average local school, it is 120, 100. Yeah. The average local school may take 160 for medicine. Yeah. You don't know. So you don't know. Ah. Hey, dear Lord. Not only they read newspaper. Not only, not only Linda Katie blog. They read newspaper. Know what's happening in your world. Please. That means this song, this is very difficult to explain because you don't know the basics now that I can use to explain some of these divides. But anyway, just like we have northern Nigeria that is a little bit not too, or that is actually not too educated, and then southern Nigeria that is a little bit more developed. The civilization in the south is more than the north. At least you agree on that. Is that not so? In America, in early America, we had the north and then the south. The southern America was underdeveloped. They were given into farming. That's why there were more slaves, as it were, in the southern part of America. The southern parts are these parts in red. What is called the northern part of America are the parts in blue. Okay, we know it's still scattered a little bit towards the east, towards the west, rather. Are we still together here? So those guys on the south they believed a lot in slavery. Why? They were into a lot of famines. And so they wanted to um, get those slaves from the black continent to work for them. And they were very, very poor. Yeah, slavery does not encourage real diligence. So the entire, it was like they were poor, they were illiterate, they were not progressing. The industrialization that happened subsequently happened in the north. But anyway, to cut the long story short, we had the North American anti-slavery political movement and then the South American pro-slavery political movement. The guys in the north, most of them had their belief system from Puritan teachings. Remember the Puritans from last week. Puritans taught hard work, diligence, conservativeness. So it influenced the Northern American perspective. Many of the Puritans were the first people that began to advocate for the abolition of slave trade. Uh, there was a man called Samuel Sewall in 1700. He began to write emphatically against slave trade. And he used the Bible as the basis to condemn slave trade. Unfortunately, those in the South were also using the Bible as the basis to approve slave trade. <laughs> the Northern Puritan guys were saying, in the Bible, all souls are equal. You are not supposed to own slaves. The southern so-called Christian guys will say, well, nobody 
in scripture actually condemns slaves or slavery. Abraham had slaves. Jesus didn't speak against it. Paul says slaves should be lawyer. So everybody was using the Bible to support their own arguments. Are we still together here? But the most, you know, the loudest voice against slave trade and slavery were actually those with Puritan values. In fact, there was a newspaper, the Librator. That was the name of the newspaper. It wrote emphatically, consistently against slavery. But anyway, a civil war broke out. Why did a civil war break out? Those guys in the Southern American side began to move towards the West. Put the image back on the screen. The guys on the Northern side also began to move towards the West. So there was now an argument. When we move towards the West, will we continue slavery or will we stop it? Because the northern guys believed in no slavery. And the country was existing like that. If you are in the north, no slavery. If you are in the south, there's slavery. So now everybody was moving towards the west because they discovered the west was better for industrialization. So they're moving towards the western region of America. The guys, so there were 22 states. 11, 11. 11 northern states, 11 southern states. Are we still together here? <laughs> and so... There was supposed to be an election. Abraham Lincoln was the leader of the Republican Party in the northern side. The guys on the southern side have forgotten the name, or I did not write the name of the leader of their own political movement. They were afraid that if Abraham Lincoln wins the election, he would ban slavery. So just like Biafra wanted to leave Nigeria, the southern state said, let's leave America and establish our own country. Well, unfortunately for them, Abraham Lincoln won the Republican primaries just before the Civil War broke out. In fact, uh, they knew he was going to win the general election once he won the Republican ticket. And so they began to plan to secede from America. The Civil War broke out because just like Nigeria will not allow Biafra go, the northern states will not allow the southern states go. Do you understand that now? So there was a war, and it was just because of this slavery issue. Many people died. Many people, you can research it, the American Civil War. Many people lost their lives. Many slaves died. But eventually the northern guys won. And so slave trade was now abolished. Is that well taken? Abraham Lincoln himself was not necessarily a Christian, but he too had Puritan roots. And so his values of life was because of his Puritan education. And no, we shouldn't be having slaves. Every soul is equal. So, even though he was not really a professing Christian per se, he was raised and trained by people who had Puritan values. And so we can say Christianity actually contributed to the abolition of the slave trade. Even though Christianity also, in some sense, contributed to the continuity of it, because at first, many people used the Bible to justify slavery. Is that well taken? I need you to understand it well, so that when you begin to hear different rumors, that, ah, it was Christians that were the ones championing slave trade now, that time, no, 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 that's not how it was. And so, eventually, 
the Northern American values and philosophy prevailed, and then every other part of the United States had to work by the principle that made slavery illegitimate. Okay, that's a very important lesson. I need you to understand it, however, from the Christian perspective. The real lesson, however, is that Bible doctrine and interpretation have societal consequences. Societal consequences. And if we don't properly interpret scripture, now just now, the, the, the key um, interpretation principle here is this. Just because something is written in the Bible does not mean it is recommended. Are you listening to me? How many wives did um, Abraham have? At a time, at a time. One. Okay. What of um, brother Jacob? Two. Leah and Rachel. Is that not so? Just because Jacob had two wives does not mean the Bible approves of polygamy. That it is written does not mean it is prescribed. That it is described does not mean it is prescribed. So, ah, in under Roman Empire, Paul told slaves to be faithful and loyal. Yes, it does not mean Paul was against the abolition of slavery. It does not mean Paul did not support the abolition of slavery. It does not mean Paul had a slave and did not value the equality of women. So, when we read the Bible, let us not just look for what is written. Let's understand the application and personal implications of what is written. Are we still together here? Okay, let's see if there's any other information before I go on to the next major theme here. Uh, by the way, one of the lies of our modern generation is to suggest that the... Now, in American political divide, right now there's de Democrats versus Republicans. Mention two um, political parties in Nigeria. Those are the two major ones, Abi. At least that's what they claim. Because some of those claims. But they then get structure. <laughs> so in America, there are about three or four, but there are also two major ones. There's the Democrats and there's the Republicans. Today, the Democrats are the ones shouting for liberalism. Freedom! Women's rights. Everybody can do abortion. My body, my choice. So many people don't know that it was actually the Republicans that fought against slavery. They think that it was the Democrats that actually fought against slavery. Meanwhile, it was actually the Republicans. It was the conservative Americans that opposed slavery. So if you, if you just read the news, you would think the people fighting for liberty are the good guys. Meanwhile, they have always been the bad guys. Actually. <laughs> so when you read what is happening in today's world and merge it with historical truth, you know. You know, you see many of the hypocrisies happening. Abraham Lincoln was eventually assassinated because a soldier in his cabinet did not like the fact that they were, they were going to stop slave trade. He too had slaves. So he went and killed the president. His vice took over. <laughs> but eventually, they established an American state that was free or that was delivered from the plague of slavery. But certainly, Christianity played a major role in this 
um, so social um, realities. Okay, let's progress here. Let's progress here. Let's talk a little bit about science and um, spirituals, and then we'll overlap into socials and spirituals. How many of you know the theory of evolution? How many of you are familiar with it? You know what it means? Okay. Well, evolution is the theory that suggests that complex living things have developed from simple forms through the operation of natural selection. Basically, it was more controversial because by the time we speak about human evolution, the man Charles Darwin claimed that humans evolved from monkeys. Look at him. I cannot say what's in my mind. <laughs> but <laughs> he, he believed that the, the whole idea of humanity was not because God made man. You need to understand why this scientific philosophy was now a hot issue in an American society that was dominantly Christian. And they began to teach. The Theory of Evolution is called The Origin of Species as one of the most important books of their generation and the thoughts that man's... You see this picture? Good. It's an international bestseller. Ah. I know something like this can be an international bestseller. That's why I tell you, don't read popular books. Don't, don't read in bestsellers. Read Bible sellers. You know the things that, you, that people call bestsellers? It's just a bunch of rubbish. That is popular. Of course, when a community is ignorant, lies will travel fast. When I see a Christian book, I say it's a bestseller. <laughs> I don't like bestseller. <laughs> because if something is very popular, it may mean that it's wrong. So Charles Darwin thought that we came from apes. Me now. Me now, as I said like this. I was in terms of saying, now monkey be my great, 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 great grandpapa. Say, monkey can't they evolve, evolve. The tails were reducing. Small, small. Till it became what we have now. Darwin was not initially anti church. Of course, he grew up in church, but subsequently in his life, he, he became clearly anti-church, anti-scripture, anti-Christian. The real issue we want to bring out is that these scientific theories bettered what we refer to as biblical criticism because some Christians accepted Charles Darwin's philosophy. He said, oh, it's true. We, it's true. Um, and they began to suggest that the whole idea of evolution was God revealing himself to mankind gradually. Have you ever heard the statement progressive revelation? That they believe that progressive revelation was similar to evolution. See, our forefathers knew God in a small way. We now, when I would speak in tongues, now we shall be God past. That kind of a thinking. Some people believe that we, it's a bit scabash. You, 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 you know God past Elijah. You know God past Abraham. What did Abraham know? Abraham, where you won't go offer your son Isaac. You don't know God. This idea that because we have smartphones, we are the smartest Christians. And so many Christians accepted it. They were called liberal 
protestants. That's, that was their tag. They accepted the origin of species and they believed that God will send Charles Darwin to explain the light of creation to mankind. With the liberal protestants came Bible criticism. People began to say, well, maybe the story of Genesis that describes creation is not really true. Because once you subscribe to Charles Darwin, you cannot think that God created man, Adam and Eve in the beginning. You cannot add evolution and Genesis together. It doesn't add. Do you understand what we are saying here? But because some Christians believe this, they began to say, maybe, maybe, maybe some of the things we read in the Bible is not like that. It's not like that. And so we had what is called Bible criticism in the Western society. There were two dimensions of this criticism. There was what is called lower criticism. This one was with respect to the text, the words, the verses. So for instance, I'm reading Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Lower criticism will check these children. What does it mean? Is it children in the natural? Is it spiritual children? That was how lower criticism examined scriptures. Check word for word. What is the original meaning? What is the Hebrew word? What is the Greek word? That's how all these study methods came about. It was because once some Christians believed in Charles Darwin, the Bible was no longer taking verbatim like that. So let's check. Who. Let's really check. And it had positive influence too because many of the wrong interpretations was now corrected because people began to investigate the Bible. So what did it really mean? When he said judge not, what did it really mean? What is the meaning of judge? So we had what is called lower criticism that examined text, words, phrases, verses, sentences. Then we also had higher criticism which was focused on giving accurate interpretation and application. That was the idea of higher criticism. All of this happened in the, in the 18th century. And it was the science of people like Charles Darwin that triggered all of these kind of investigations. Let's check. This Bible that we are carrying, you must understand that America was as to a Christianized nation. And nobody was used to challenging the authority of the Bible. They were also very learned. But they were not really given to scrutinizing and examining the authority of Scripture as it were. Well, because of things like this, it seemed like a different kind of Christianity came about, which I will reference shortly. But let me also tell you one other thing with respect to science that affected the church and the church and how the church also influenced it. We want to move on to what is referred to as the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution began by the invention of a steam engine. Or the, the, or the, the invention of a steam engine. The steam engine ensured that there were going to be more industries. And so there were going to be more factories. And so there were going to be more factory workers. How many of you have worked in a China factory work of China factory before? Ah, nobody. How many of you have heard stories of China factory work? What story did you hear? 
let me just say, okay, yeah, black people work in Nigeria. They can use the average factory does not have welfare um, protocols. They just use, use, use. Now, when I was reading this, I was very sad because some of the things that happen in the industrial age with respect to the overworking of women is what is happening currently in our time. And we have not even overcome it. And we are talking about 18th century American life. They have overcome it today. But we are just... They, they are using artificial intelligence to do some of their works. We, we are using sweat, manpower. But anyway, the Industrial Revolution, particularly in England and America, changed society drastically. Let me read a few things to help you understand what we are saying here. The factory became the symbol of a new industrial order. Here, the power and the machinery made productivity possible. So people had to leave their farm jobs to go and get, quote-unquote, better jobs in machine factories. These factories and this industrialization brought wealth, however, to only a few set of people. Those who were rich enough to have factories, to buy steam engines, were wealthy. But the average workers were very poor. Let me read a few things that may give you a better perspective. The early factories were without most of the elementary sanitary and safety facilities. Horrible cases of mangling were common. Mangling is factory accidents. You see somebody's hand. That happens a lot in those Chinese companies. Just cut off. And no compensation. The law of the land said anybody that suffers any damage because of industry work should just be fired. No compensation, nothing like compensation, nothing. So there was a capitalist movement from the industrial revolution. A few group of people controlling most of the wealth. And so there was virtually no middle class. You know, you have rich, you have average, you have poor. There was no average. It was just the wealthy and then the poor. There was no system of worksmen, compensation or health insurance. An injured worker was likely to be thrown out in the streets, destitute, and his job given to one of the thousands who had flogged into the new cities in search of employment. Women and children worked alongside men. Poverty often forced women to toil until a day or two before delivery. So pregnant women, because they were poor, they are pregnant to eight months and two weeks. They are still working. When they discover that maybe I will deliver this week, they will now pause. And children, even from the age of four or five, were employed also to work for very little pay. The working hours were 12 to 15 every day. Add labor. I don't know what the average working hours is. Eight. I was going to show you that. Um, well, what? eight in uh, if all things being equal. Because I'm thinking, <laughs> what at uh, London? What was the average working hour? Eight to five. Official, uh, unofficial. Look Eight to nine p.m. So, just to give you perspective, 
But this one was hard labor. It's like carrying Hong Kong 12 to 16 hours every day for just minimum wage. Minimum wage in Nigeria is uh, 30k. Is it 30k? So the capitalists, they developed the term called laissez faire. It's, I think, a French term. You don't have to worry about the spelling, but what it means or what it suggests is that the industrial age had come to stay and nobody could correct it. We're always going to have extremely rich people who own steam engines and who could have plenty laborers, not necessarily slaves, laborers. But they could pay them very, very little. At least that was better than just working on the farm and just all you have is just what to eat. Well, this um, Leases Ferre philosophy was what was used to dampen the conscience of man because you see, even though they were the ones making all the money, their conscience knew that what they were doing was not good. But once they developed this philosophy, it's just quieting their conscience and they said that the industrial era had happened for the better or the betterment of society and everybody should just agree that that's how it is. And that nobody could correct it. Those in government didn't do anything to stop it. And especially those in the church at first were indifferent. And one of the reasons why those in the church were indifferent was because by the time we approached the 18th century, Christians were no longer focused on any other thing aside from personal salvation. Just be born again. Christianity was no, longer, was no longer trying to influence society. So just, are you born again? Are you, born, are you going to heaven? There's hell. Are you? So, no. And of course, Christianity had been absolutely separated from government. There was no Christian state anymore as it were. So, those in government were just doing their stuff. People that were Christians, the revivalists were putting their stuff. Nobody was really concerned about, this thing is not good or this is not fair. So, people began to criticize the church that was a popular figure, his name, Karl Marx. You have probably heard of him before. I think it was the one that said religion is the opium of the masses. Somebody may confirm the owner of that statement. You can just Google that. Who said it, or who started, or who echoed it. But Karl Marx began to criticize Christianity and claim that Christians were taking side with the oppressors. Of course, that challenged some Christians to begin to look into the matter of this capitalist philosophy that employed several people and paid them very little. So, some Christians began to rise up and they began to demand for changes, especially in the Catholic Church. Interestingly, the greatest fighters of workers' welfare were the Catholic Church, not necessarily the Protestants. The Protestants were just focused on, are you born again? I want to get no worry. If you like, if you like, suffer on this earth, no problem. But the Catholic Church were the ones that began to insist that no, we've got to fix this issue. Are we still together here? By the way, many church members were capitalists. That means many church members were rich enough to own some of these factories. And they were employing several people and underpaying them. So that's why some of them were, they were not planning to change the laws. Like, let's continue like this. 
And uh, by the way, if you want to be a Christian CEO, please don't be like this people. You have Christian business and you are employing somebody and you are paying the person 5K. Yeah, a wicked person. And when I mean 5K, you are earning 500K monthly and you are paying your worker. You don't want maybe up to four workers, you are paying them 5K. That's wicked. That's not Christian. You must understand that these are the things that affected society and in fact it made Christianity almost irrelevant in that time. Because people began to say, all of them are just talk of heaven, 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 heaven. But they don't see us as these people, they use us. They don't care. See, four-year-old children, they, 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 they go do factory work. They don't talk for church. The only thing are we born again, are we born again, are we born again. I'm not saying that I will soon learn. We will soon learn the other side of the story. I'm not saying that the spirit of man is not the most important thing, the eternity of man. But then, Christianity is not just about ah, my own personal religion. I just want to make heaven. No. We are indeed the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And if we stop being that, we give an impression that God does not care about our existence on the earth. Christianity, in fact, as it was, stopped spreading because of things like this. They became indifferent. Said, eh, well... Just make heaven. Aren't you guys going to protest against this capitalist movement? Just make heaven. That's not a good... That's not what Jesus would have done. As it were. Okay. But basically, we had some Catholic and of course some Protestant people rise up and they began to demand four things. Number one, they began to challenge that capitalist philosophy. They also began to establish Christian institutions to relieve the suffering of the poor and powerless. So they began to set up Christian institutions and businesses. So, okay, this, now, it's a shame, for instance, in Nigeria, there are Islamic banks who do not take interest. I'm saying it's a shame because it's in Jewish law that you must not collect interest from your brother. You read the Old Testament. Some of you don't know how rich the Old Testament is in terms of Mercy and judgment and justice. The Old Testament commands: if your brother borrows money from you, let, you must not collect interest. In fact, at the seventh year, you must let go. Year of jubilee, you must let go. Now, the Muslims seem to be practicing that more than Christians. Amen. Some of you are already saying, "Are you trying to say that uh, that person I owe me, I should, I should, I should let go?" <laughs> One of the reasons this is the problem is because we don't see Christians as brothers. We don't see a fellow Christian as, this is my brother. You see Igbo man, Igbo man will carry a brother from Inewi, come Lagos, come Les Pierpat. After three years, he go release him. Say, guy, he go set him up. Before, he not go release him like that. He go set him up. But now, Yoruba people, they're in the worst part. Yoruba person go teach you tailoring. You go to you do, go to you do. When you do freedom, you go pay for freedom. You go need and take picture with certificates. You go to you need. Many people actually believe that the Igbos have a Jewish heritage, and sometimes I because the way those guys do their things, the way they practice transgenerational wealth principles. What do you know this thing? What you remember saying? Oh, freedom. And I always see money by machine. You say, oh, freedom. I'm not new, though. 
You now snap me. You now choke me in the door. I say, in the name, in the name of whatever, the door will not choke me. <laughs> but anyway, so at this time, many Christians began to insist on societal changes with respect to evolving from capitalism to socialism, a form of socialism. Let me progress here because of time. I have just 15 minutes and I'm really very tired. Because Christians were not quick. Now, not all Christians, by the way, just the same way when it comes to the subject of slavery, some Christians opposed it, some supported it. But generally, the general Christian attitude towards this issue was not prompt. There was an evolving of a social gospel. I told you there were a group of guys called liberal protestants. They began to propagate what is called a social gospel. What is the social gospel? The social gospel, amongst many other things, which I will soon read, but in a summary, believes that all that should be the focus of the church and of Christianity is just to influence society. Don't talk about heaven, don't talk about hell, don't talk about being born again. Let's just love one another and make each other better on the earth. Now, you must understand the difference between the true gospel and the social gospel. But let me read a few things here that will help you put it in proper perspective. Because I've discovered the social gospel is the most popular gospel now. And it's the false gospel. It's the false gospel. The social gospel is the one that says love and light. Let's just love one another. Forget about all this uh, condemnation people are putting us. Let's just, let's just love one another. The social gospel is what the liberals in America preach. They can give you one million dollars to donate for charity. But later they will come and say, hey, you people should not, should not ban homosexuality. If you ban homosexuality, we will not give you money again. It's the social gospel. They invest a lot in charity and orphanage. But they don't want to hear anything about, are you born again? You say that one is judgment. Let me read a few things here. Are we still together here? The social gospel came into prominence in the late... Okay, sorry. Yeah, the term, rather. The term social gospel came into prominence in the late 19th century. Promoters of the social gospel sought to apply Christian principles to societal problems with a focus on labor reform. Other issues such as poverty, nutrition, health, education, alcoholism, crime, and warfare were also addressed as part of the social gospel. However, as social needs were emphasized, the doctrines of sin, salvation, heaven, and hell, and the future kingdom of God were downplayed. Theologically, many of the social gospel leaders were liberal and overwhelmingly post-millennialist. What does that mean? A post-millennialist millennialist believes that when the world is put in order, that's when Jesus will come. Until everybody is happy in this world, Jesus will not come. So let's make everybody happy so that Jesus can quickly come. That's, that was how the, the reason. Especially after the civil war and the industrialization that broadened the gap between the rich and the poor. There was now a great emphasis on things like woman equality or equity and a stressing of the need to have 
a greater or large percentage of average citizens. Proponents of the social gospel desire to reduce suffering and corruption in society. They devoted themselves to many causes, but these are the major ones. The first is abolishing child labor. Don't employ kids anymore to work. They were the ones who also lobbied for eight-hour work day. Eight hours, which has come to be an established official thing now. It was the social gospel leaders that began to lobby for that. Um, they also emphasized better education, including education for immigrants. And then health care for the needy. That has also become very popular in the Western world. General health care for the needy. Health insurance, stuff like that. Many of these courses were advanced through settlement homes. Communities built in the middle of slums where middle and working class families lived and worked side by side. So they would just set up communities in many of these industrialized areas. Because those industrialized areas didn't provide accommodation for their workers. Seven people can be living in one room. It's worse than face you, I slap you. Worse. Fifty people may be sharing one toilet. So it's a mess, really. So what this social gospel people will go and do is to build homes. They did not preach. They didn't talk about heaven or hell or being born again. Just build homes and help those that were working in these industrialized areas. Are we still together here? The social gospel movement did not consider original sin a significant problem. What is original sin? If you have been studying alongside us, you will understand what we mean by original sin. It means that everyone born is born a sinner. Simply put. We are born sinners. That's the doctrine of original sin. But the social gospel suggested that everybody was born good. And it was things like capitalism that made society bad. It was not sin in terms of original sin that made society bad. And that we can change the human race by changing society. Now, let me say it, and we have been saying it. Christianity is not against changing society. But changing society is not the ultimate goal of Christianity. Because we have seen that even in societies where all these movements of let there be equity, let there be this, let there be freedom, there are still crimes. In America, people still do mass shooting. Someone just wake up, carry a gun, and kill 48 people. And he kill himself. You check his bank account. This guy is being fed by the government. This guy has health insurance. This guy, they gave him free education. They gave him scholarship. What do you make and carry God? You see, the problem of man is not going to be cured just by societal reforms. Sin is too inward, too original to just fix by trying to change society. But the social gospel said, no, no, no. If we change society, in fact, they thought that changing society was equivalent to salvation. The real salvation is when society changes. In fact, Jesus will not come until society changes. Their leader was Walter Rochtenbusch. I think he's quite German. <laughs> but um, let's have his face if we can. He wrote a book titled The Theology of the Social Gospel. And he outlined the beliefs of this gospel, some of those things we have, we have considered. Basically, they watered down eternal realities and focused on physical, temporal realities. They began to see the Bible as a social book, a book of social reforms. They de-emphasized 
the part of scriptures that spoke about holy living. They emphasized the part of scriptures that spoke about freedom and liberty and um, justice. The social gospel is a very popular gospel, even though officially it ended in 1920, officially, but it evolved into other deceptive forms. The social gospel is about societal reforms and not about human transformation. We have to be careful of the social gospel, particularly for some of you who say, I have a call into politics. Some of you inherited things from social gospel ideology. Yeah. Say, I'm an apostle in the marketplace. What does that mean? What's the meaning of that? Can you give a biblical biblical basis for such kind of calling? Say, no, me, I, don't, I don't do evangelism. I'm just a kingdom financier. This is a social gospel entrance, that social gospel doctrines. The idea is you just make money and then you change society. No. The, the, the problem of mankind is not going to be solved by more money. Are you listening to me here? It's not going to be solved by more charity. Who said that? Love is the answer. Like a dancing song. What, what was that song again? Um, change the world. Make it a better place. For me and for you and me. What's up? So some of your favorite songs. Yes, according to some of the revelations, it was a pedophile. There are no good people outside Christ. You, you, have you been following the R. Kelly's case? R. Kelly. Give me one of his songs that, was, that they say he was Christian. I believe I can fly. What's the next statement? I believe I can touch the sky. Many of those motivational quotes. <laughs> Social gospel. Meanwhile, he was raping girls. Now he's in jail. Some of you don't know he's in jail. Some of you have his songs on your phone. That's why I can't trust you. It's my, it's my child. I can't. Because these are the kind of people you are, the people you hear. The spirits you are collecting, because they, they go. There is no goodness outside Christ. With that Christianity, they don't understand. Some of your heroes say, he's not a bad guy. He's just that, hmm, not be a bad guy. He no get you, so he's not a bad guy. What is the meaning of bad and good? For social gospel that deceives many people. Like, like, do you know how much charity Michael Jackson was giving to? Sometimes it shows and just carry all the money and give it to poor people, send it to Africa. Yet it was a pedophile. It's, it's only in Jesus that there's purity. Are we still together here? Much of the things preached in the West, social gospel. I was saying that the, our approach towards missions has become more social than spiritual. And we go to villages with rice and beans and yam and egg. And we just believe that if we give the, the priest yam and egg, he will accept Jesus. <laughs> you think that the demon is holding that priest? You think it's, it's, a, it's yam that he's, that he's looking for? <laughs> the God of Yeshua. <laughs> People think that we can change humanity by just being nice. Somebody said, no, the greatest evangelism is your life. Well, it depends on what you are talking about. Say, so just be nice. I hope we will follow you to God. Uh, since you have been nice, how many people have become born again? You talk true. 
these things are fallacies. Social gospel. We must confront one say, except you repent. There is no rest. You don't rest in peace because somebody say rest in peace. If you are not in Christ, there is no rest. If you don't think these things, we will subscribe to social gospel and we will fail a generation. That's the end of my teaching. We trust that you've been blessed by this teaching. We look forward to receiving your testimonies, prayer requests, and feedbacks. You can send us a mail at judamaye at yahoo.com. That is J-U-D-A-H-M-A-Y-E at yahoo.com. Till next time, remain in the consciousness of God's word and power. Thank you.